balanced leadership may sound wonky, but it's necessary if you want stability and growth in your organization. That's why I'm excited about today's guest, Rocco Romanella, who's going to tell you everything you need to know about balanced leadership. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, helping you see business issues hiding in plain view that matter to your bottom line. Welcome to Business Confidential Now. I'm your host, Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, and today's guest, Rocky Romanella, describes himself as a witty, blue-collar guy who rose through the ranks at UPS to a senior level after starting there unloading trailers after high school. He then became a CEO and a board member of a small telecom company, and today he's the small business owner, the founder, the president, and CEO of 360 Management Services, LLC where he focuses on thought leadership, process improvement, and leadership development. But let me tell you, Rocky's description of himself is just really humble because he downplays one of the huge roles he played during his 36 years at UPS, an organization you're no doubt familiar with as the world's largest package delivery company and a leading global provider of specialized transportation and logistics services. While he was there, he led one of the largest rebranding initiatives in franchising history, the UPS Store, revolutionizing the $9 billion retail shipping and business services market. Now that's a huge wow. Rocky's also the author of the book, Tighten the Lug Nuts, and he says he delivers results by developing and implementing his balanced leadership model. And I can't wait to learn more about what this balanced leadership model is all about. So let's have him join us now. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Rocky. Well, it's a pleasure to be on the show, and I look forward to our discussion. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about some things confidentially. <laughs> right. It's just between you and me. <laughs> and me. <laughs> so tell me about this balanced leadership model. What are we balancing? Well, it's interesting because I feel like and as I grew in my career, I started to recognize that this whole concept of balance was so important. You know, you either focusing on uh, cost or focusing on growth or maybe focusing on your people. And I felt like when you, when you had this hyper-focus on one or two things inside the organization, you, you actually got out of balance. And so what I recognized early on in my career was that there are three key constituents in every decision you make, your customers, your people, your shareholders, and stakeholders. And as I was going through the decision-making process, I wanted to make sure that all three were represented at the table, the decision-making table. And so I felt like you want to think like a customer, you want your people to feel like valued individuals, but you want to act like an owner in all the decisions that you make. And quick example would be if someone brought me a new product or service uh, for, our organ- for our business, I mean, clearly they would have all the information you needed from a product development, where it fit the portfolio, you know, wh- where it should be in, in terms of the needs of the customer. And so you recognize early on that, that this, the customer is clearly represented in this decision. Of course, your CFO, he or she sitting there pounding on a calculator, well, at that price point, and we sell this number, we can really make money. So before the decision would be made, I would stop and say, okay, our customers are well represented, and our, you know, our shareholders, stakeholders are represented. How about our people? What's the training that they're going to need? Do they understand why it's an important product, how it fits in the portfolio? If there's a service that's connected, how do we solve that? And then once all three key constituents were represented, 
then I would simply ask the person who was rep- who was making the presentation, hey, if this was your company, if this was your candy store, if you were writing a check from your checkbook, would you do this? And so that was sort of the final question that the customers, people, shareholders, stakeholders represented. Now I was looking at the person making that presentation. Hey, if you own this candy store, if this was you coming from your paycheck, would you do it? And that's the acting like an owner. I like that acting like an owner piece. Uh, years ago when I taught at an MBA program, one of the final exam exercises was a fact pattern that was cobbled together of the worst cases I ever worked on in terms of acquisitions. They had all kinds of landmines involved. And it, and the, the task was, would you do this deal? How would it look? And so there really wasn't a perfect answer, but I wanted to see whether anybody would say, I would walk from this deal. And out of all the classes that I taught, I think there were only two people whose team said, no, I wouldn't put my money into this. Everyone else, when I said, okay, so you wouldn't put your money into it, but why would you do it? Well, because you told me to. Oh, yeah. Well, you would be amazed. You know, maybe 20% of the times I ask that question, people say, well, no, I wouldn't do this. I remember one in particular, I said to the business owner president, well, excuse me, you wouldn't do this? He goes, oh, no, I wouldn't. If it was my money, I wouldn't do it. Well, what are you presenting it to me for? He said, well, we said we had to get some more growth. We wanted to introduce new products and services. We wanted to think outside the box. So I thought this would be an outside the box, but I, I, I wouldn't do it. And so it's interesting when you ask that question, to your point, it's amazing when people start to think about it from, you know, acting like an owner, if this was your candy store. And look, you and I both know, and, and I know, you know, your, your audience as entrepreneurs and small business owners, and I know you, you grew up understanding small businesses. No one's more all in than a small business owner. I mean, if you think about it, they take everything they own in life, they slide it across the table, and they say, I'm all in. They hit the cash register at the end of the day and the draw opens and they pay their people, they pay their vendors. And what's left in that cash register is what they bring home for their, fa- for their families. So if you, can, if you can get people to think like that, to think like an owner, their decisions are much different than they would if they're, if they're part of an organization. You know, you want them to feel like they're, they, they're part of the ownership of an organization. So if, whatever you can do to get them to feel like that changes the way they act, changes the way the decisions that they make, and the way they interact with, with the customers because they're acting like an owner. So of these three elements, the customer, your employees, and this ownership uh, philosophy or approach to the decision-making, what do you find is typically out of balance when you're consulting with different clients? Is it the ownership angle? Well, it's not necessarily... Larger corporations, bigger companies, it, it could be that. When you're dealing with small business owners, sole proprietors, many times it's the, it's the people side of it, right? Because if you think about it for a second, I'm a small business owner, and the first big decision I have to make is adding the first person. Well, what, what's my strength? My strength as a small business owner, no one knows the business better than I do, no one knows the customers better than I do, no one's more committed than I am. What's my weakness? No one knows the customers better than I do, no one's more committed than I do. So they, 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 have, they have the acting like an owner down. They have, you know, think like a customer. What they miss is making your people feel like valued individuals. When I hire you, I have to give you authority that goes with the responsibility. I have to be willing to allow you 
to make decisions. I have to be willing to allow you to be that employee that that feels valued. And I think that's the hard part with small business owners is adding that first employee, then adding the second employee. How do I, you know, the training that goes with that, potentially some larger the succession planning. So in, in the small businesses, I find that the people sometimes are the, are, are the issue that kind of get lost in this balance leadership. It's not because they're not good people to work for or they're not caring owners. It's just that ability to to have the authority equal the responsibility for those people that you're hiring. So how do you rebalance? What, what's a reliable uh, process for the small business owner, even the startup who's starting to, to hire employees outside their immediate circle of family and friends that help them get a business off the ground? How do they start to change their mindset about the hiring process and the people they bring on in order to let them feel like valued individuals, as you say? So, so the first step, so, so the first step for me in this process is always three key questions. So now, you know, you and I are sitting down with this small business owner and, and before we to those questions of calibration or what may be some of the problems, I ask them three key questions. The first question is, well, who are you? You know, who, 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 who is this company? You know, what do you stand for? And then what are the things you won't compromise? And what ends up happening is, is when you, you know, as, as leaders, we should answer those three questions as well. Who am I? What do I stand for? And what are the things I won't compromise? And it's interesting when you go through that exercise with a small business, well, who are you? Oh, we do this, we do this, we, you know, we do that. Okay. You know, what do you stand for? Oh, high quality, service, integrity, whatever those things are. And then you look at them and say, but what are the things you won't compromise? Well, we won't compromise service. We won't compromise safety. So then you look at them and say, okay, let's think about this for a second. You won't compromise service, but yet you're looking to grow two times your current size and you can't service those people yourself as an individual, right? Yes. Okay, well, if you truly want to not compromise on service, but you want to grow two times your size, what you're basically saying is I have to hire an additional person. Yes, I do. But if you're not willing to train them, if you're not willing to give them the authority that's going to equal this responsibility, then they're not going to be able to service your customer, right? They're going to have to come to you. Well, then you just compromise the thing you said you won't compromise. So before I get into the solution, I want them to start to understand, like, who are you? What are you trying to accomplish? Why why do you want to get bigger? What's your strategic decision for what you're doing? But if I just tell them those things, so I'm, I'm trying to get them to get to the understanding of what are the things that are important to me as the owner and what are the things I won't compromise. The number three question is the most difficult one to answer because you know, think about world-class organizations that you and I both know of. Think about some of the companies that you worked with or some of the individuals you advised uh, th- through your career. The thing that wasn't one or two. They could clearly articulate who they are. They, they knew what they stood for. They could go through the values, mission statements. Number three is what always gets people in trouble. What are the things you won't compromise? And I think that that's the thing that's so important. And so I need to understand that about your business before I even go any further. Well, I like the way you phrase that. Instead of telling them what they need, have them come to the realization. Because once 
they do answer that question. And I can appreciate that, you know, what are you not willing to compromise? You know, the the <laughs> default answer is, well, nothing. <laughs> well, okay, then how are you going to get there? Uh, you know, to lead them through the the analysis where they're doing the analysis instead of you handing it to them. And I think that's a lot more powerful than giving them the answer. So good for you. Well, I think that question making, that question, the question is the way you frame them. You know, it's funny when we're building a solution all the time, whenever I'm in building a solution for a particular problem, you know, the first question they ask is, well, who's the customer? And it's funny to watch their faces, right? You know, I remember we're building a solution when I was at UPS on the supply chain side. We're building a solution for a healthcare customer. And, uh, you know, I asked the question, well, who's the customer? And, of course, everyone gives you that nervous laugh, like, really? I don't know. No, let's, like, let's just identify who the customer is first. Okay, sure. So, of course, one-third of the people in the room said it's, well, it's the doctors. You know, we, you know, we need them to be selling our, you know, prescribing our drugs and whatever. And the other two-thirds look at that one-third and say, wait, no, it's not the doctors. No, no, no. It's 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 the distribution channel. It's CVS, Walgreens, and then so then the other two there look at them and say, "Well, isn't it the patient?" So if you think about it for a second, that's so important. Like, who is the customer that you're building the solution for? Because if you think about it from our our perspective at UPS at the time, if we're ninety nine percent on time, that's a great you know metric. If 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 Walgreens or CVS or the doctors are your pay solution that your solution for, that's your customer. But if it's a patient, you don't want to be the one patient that didn't get their philosophy product. So it makes a difference who the customer is. And when you ask that question, you always get that little bit of nervous smile, like, yeah, come on, let's move on. It sounds like something a consultant would ask. And I always get back to, we're not going anywhere until we understand who is the customer. Because once you understand who the customer is, then you understand what your solution for. Think about all those M&A situations. Why are we buying this company? Do we just get caught up in an M&A frenzy? Or is it because everyone else is buying? You know, you think about it in telecom. Everyone's going upstream. They're all buying content. You know, AT&T is buying DirecTV. You know, Comcast is buying NBC. Well, then, of course, ESPN gets bought and ABC gets bought by Disney. Everybody's buying content. You just get caught up in that frenzy. Well, do you really understand who the customer is that you're trying to service and why are you buying that? And I think those types of questions, I think, really give everybody a pause and take a second and say, well, who is the customer? What are we trying to solve for? Absolutely. So when people are trying to rebalance between the customer, their people, their shareholders, where do you think that they typically go off the rails in rebalancing? I think many times it's it's the people side of it, right? Because they think they believe, sadly, that that of the two, of the three of them, I should say, two of them, you know, are less variable than people, right? Because with people, you can look at the overtime costs, you could look at the number of people, you could say, hey, we're not going to do training this, you know, so you think about it. But I think it's the opposite. See, I think that, you know, the profit of your organization is sort of the applause that you get from your customers and your people. If you are following your processes, and you're growing the business appropriately with the right customer base and the right growth, and your people are executing on behalf of your organization, the profit happens if you have a good process. And so I think that, but they tend to spend time on both, right? Because those are the things that you have the best metrics for. I have, I have a revenue number that I can see it's tangible. I have a churn number. If I'm not hitting my revenue, I know who's been here and who's left. 
usually though you know the the, the customer side is more measured and has more metrics and of course the profitability side everyone knows and sees and and it becomes part of the you know it's a big part of the plan the people sometimes because it's hard to really you know kind of gauge that or manage it maybe or have metrics for it sometimes ends up being the part that gets out of balance because you think you can make up the difference in in that piece there so i think that's usually you know many times that's where you kind of get out of balance I understand. Now, tell me about <laughs> Tighten the Lug Nuts, this book that you wrote. Well, where where well, did that come from, Tighten the Lug Nuts? This is your, you know, going back to your UPS days in the trucks? No, well, think about it for a second. Well, yes, it starts there a little bit. I won't tell you the whole story. You can, uh, you can read it in, the, in one of the chapters. Uh, but if you think about it, when the lug nuts are loose on a vehicle, they're important. I can easily walk over and tighten them in five minutes. But I get distracted. I feel other things may be more important at that time. I don't get back to tighten the lug nuts. So what was important yesterday becomes urgent tomorrow when the front wheel falls off. So there are many loose lug nuts inside an organization. There's many loose lug nuts in our lives that if we could just simply tighten them, we could, we could move on, but we don't. And because we don't tighten them, we allow important things like a loose lug nut at that moment to become urgent. And unfortunately, in business and as leaders and in our personal lives, we can only handle so many urgent things. So don't allow important things to become urgent. And it's funny, people who work for me over the course of time and where I'll, I'll have given a keynote speech and you know, people will send me an email, hey, listen, things are going really well. We got no, we got no loose lug nuts. So, um, so it's become a, a, an interesting way to think about those things that are, that are impacting your business and your life every day that were important, but, but we didn't take care of and they became urgent and now we're overwhelmed. So tighten the lug nuts. There you go. That's good advice. Now, I'm curious about your journey from being part of a gigantic organization from UPS to now being an entrepreneur. What stands out from the leadership perspective? What have you learned about going from a gigantic organization to a smaller to now being on your own. As you say, you pay yourself last. Well, it's interesting. There are, there are many things that are similar and important in, in all of them that, that I think are, are foundational. It's, you know, it's, it's like this balanced leadership to me it was very helpful in my UPS career, was helpful during my tenure as a CEO at Unitech. And it was also help. It's also helped for me, help, helpful for me now as an entrepreneur, because all three of those constituents are key constituents. Whether you're in a large organization, you know, a smaller one, or or on your in your own business, I think I think is um, the, the entrepreneur side of the world. Though, and, and by the way, I mean for me, you know, I have such great respect for entrepreneurs because as as you spoke about in my introduction. I had the opportunity to be involved in, you know, the largest rebranding of a franchise network in franchise history. And the thing that was so exciting about that is here I am, the UPS are working in a large organization who had responsibility for this. And I, and I received the opportunity to, and I had the opportunity to work with all these wonderful franchisees. And the one thing that makes the UPS store unique besides the rebranding is that it's hundred percent franchisee owned. I met some of the greatest people. And I have such great respect for entrepreneurs. I, I, I say that all the time. I don't know if I could do what they do and, and how they do it. And, and, 
I think that that's the thing that always I was so impressed with. And I always hope to have the opportunity to maybe start my own business so that I could at least, you know, practice some of the things they taught me. Uh, I love their energy. I love their enthusiasm. I love their all in this that we talked about. And I love the fact that, you know, they clearly had to, you know, kind of manage the business day to day. And I, and I think that what, you know, as you all, you know, I'm sure you, you've, you've heard, you've said this and we've all said this, you know, their chief cook and bottle washer, they'll, they do everything inside the organization. And I think that that's what, you know, I was, I was excited for the opportunity to do that. I think one of the things that I learned inside of you being in a large organization, especially being in senior roles is, is that's helped me as an entrepreneur is don't let your highs get too high and your lows get too lows. And I think inside of small businesses, the swings can be much more drastic than maybe inside an organization, you know, because inside of a big company, it's like kind of moving a battleship in a canal. It's, it's slow at sometimes, but in small business, you know, things happen quicker and the extremes could be much more difficult. And so one of the things I learned at the, on, from my days inside of UPS or inside a larger organization is don't let your highs get too high and your lows get too lows. I think that's what's so important. What I learned from the franchisees that, and from small business owners that I wish I kind of would have known a little bit more inside when I was at UPS is you really have to understand what are the nice to do things and need to do things. As an entrepreneur, you know, you really, you, you, many times you can't afford to do the nice to do things. So you put them off to the side and say, hey, I got to take care of the need to do things. You know, in many cases, the need to, thing, need to do things are pay my rent, make sure I, you know, I cover my fixed expenses, you know, make sure I, you know, I, I understand where my, where my revenue is coming from. So, so what I learned from the entrepreneurs and the small business owners is it's important to put things in nice to do columns and need to do columns and make sure that you take care of the need to do things and don't get bogged down with the nice to do things. In large companies, you try to do everything. And so I think that in retrospect, what I learned from, you know, the small business owner and the entrepreneur is, is understanding the difference between nice to do and need to do. And of course, on the small, on the, in the big business side, I learned let your highs get too high and your lows get too lows because it's, it's a cycle you're going to go through. And so don't make everything be, you know, the hill to die on kind of idea. So I think those are the things I learned from both that now I feel like, you know, boy, there were some great learnings in there. And I was very fortunate to have had that opportunity looking, looking at it and learning from both sides. Well, thank you for sharing that Rocky. Uh, I really appreciate that. So again, thanks for joining me. This is Rocky Romanella, the author of Tighten the Lug Nuts. It has been a blast. Thanks so much for being on. Well, I appreciate it. And thank you for your thoughtful uh, uh, questions. And I hope uh, I hope your audience finds uh, value in our conversation. And if there's anything they need, I can certainly uh, email me at rockyromanella at gmail.com or contact me through the website. But anything I can do to help you or your audience, please count me in. That's our show for today, but don't go anywhere. I have a really easy ask for you. Would you please open your podcast app and give us a five-star review and leave a comment about what you love most about the show? I do read them all, and it'll take you less than a minute. And while you're at it, share this episode. Tell someone about it, because the best way to grow our audience is by word of mouth. And if you want the detailed show notes, links to connect with my guest, or cool stuff that we talked about, 
Even if you want to ask a question or have a show idea, come on over to businessconfidentialradio.com. I'll catch you on the next episode. And in the meantime, have a great day and an even better tomorrow.